In Romans chapter 1, we are looking at the gospel. Really, you could call this gospel 101. Paul is writing a treatise that is the greatest expression of the fullness, the full message of the gospel that you'll find in Scripture, the, the epistle to the Romans. And he introduces it with a summary of the gospel, a basic thumbnail sketch of the gospel. So this gospel 101, we have seen in the early verses that the gospel is a message to be believed. Have you believed the message of the gospel? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior? The message of the gospel is simple, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth as a man. He died on the cross to pay for our sins, and he rose from the dead. And if we will place our faith and trust in him and his work, then we can receive the salvation that he extends and gives to us as a free gift. I'm glad this morning that I have believed the message of the gospel. The gospel is not just a message to be believed. Paul is going to go on to say that the gospel is a mission to be fulfilled. We are not just to hear the gospel, trust Christ as our Savior, be on our way to heaven, and then leave it at that. We have a mission. We have a task. It is the great commission that God gave to the apostles and to the church and to every believer. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. And the message of the gospel is for all people. And so we see that this is a mission for us. This is a mission for us as a church. This is what our focus is. We began even this week to expand some of this with our core groups as they began to work for this first month of November. And they already have begun serving in the, in the city of Dunn and some of our other regions. Our, our team leaders are beginning to prepare and have operations and uh, missions planned for us to go and serve in our community, carrying with us the opportunity for the gospel, the model of the gospel, and the, the chance to share the gospel with those that we encounter. And I remind you that our our deeds, our mission of the gospel is a mission of the gospel. It's not just good deeds. Our calling is not to make earth a better place to go to hell from. Our place, our task is for us to communicate the message, to share the good news. That's what the word gospel means. We're going to expand on this in the year to come. Our, our chest of Joash is here. Our offering is in just a few weeks and one of the things that I, I began to share a little bit Wednesday night, and we'll share in more detail in the weeks to come, but is to build on our gospel outreach into our community, not just through our core ministry, but down the road to be able to have instructional opportunities, it's instructional evangelistic ministries in which we can take the students and the children that God has given to us and others that are in our community and use this as an opportunity to instruct them in skills and in sports and in the arts and to use that as a platform for sharing the gospel with them and with their families. And then in turn, preparing and training them to take those same skills to use to share the gospel. It's a wonderful opportunity to be on the mission that God has given to us as a church. But we come down to verse 16. And unfortunately, this is an aspect of the gospel that many people don't experience. They have believed the message of the gospel. They are seeking maybe to, maybe to fulfill the message of the gospel or the mission of the gospel. But the gospel is a miracle to be experienced. 
You see, it's not just me giving mental assent to some truths about Jesus Christ. The gospel is not just about me knowing the message and even believing the message of the gospel. It is a miracle that takes place in my life, and it is a miracle that continues for the rest of my Christian life. I hope that there's no one here this morning, though there may be, who has at some point in your life given mental assent to the gospel, maybe, maybe even been converted and, and you've believed the gospel. And that was the end of it. But I have encountered many people over my years that said, yeah, I made a profession years ago. Well, what has happened in your life since then? And I'm not asking what works have you done. I'm asking what has transpired, what work has God done in you since then? Oh, I was, you know, I, I went forward and I prayed a prayer when I was seven and, or I went with forward with a bunch of my friends and when I was a teenager during revival and we all got baptized together. You trusted Christ, yes. What has happened since? It's not just that initial moment. It's not just that initial salvation. It is the work that God continues. He that began a good work in you will continue to perform it. So it's a miracle to be experienced. I want you to see these verses this morning, and then I want to show you three things from these verses that the gospel gives to us, this miracle of the gospel. Paul says in verse, let me back up to verse 15, so as much as in me is, look at that phrase, as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The gospel is to be believed, the gospel is to be shared, and the gospel is to be lived out to its fullest implication. It is not an oversimplification to say in our time as in all times that the gospel is the answer. There are those who will say, oh, well, you're just simplifying things. You're just, you're just ignoring the real issues and saying that the God. No, the gospel radically transforms from the inside out. And I want you to see three things here. First of all, the gospel gives us a life of purpose. The gospel gives us a life of purpose. There are people in this world today who are looking and searching for purpose and meaning in their life. And they are looking for it in all the wrong places. If you've ever wondered why there is so much wickedness and depravity in our world and why it seems like in our day that people are pushing the envelope and pushing the, the boundaries just as far as they possibly can, and yet they've come back empty. They are drinking from empty wells. Every generation, this is nothing new in our time, every generation has sought for something that will satisfy. They have sought for purpose and meaning, and they have sought for it in different wells, but they have sought for it from tainted wells, wells that will not satisfy thirst. And the church must stand ready because we have the water of life, we have the word, we have Christ, we have the gospel, and that is the only water that will satisfy. Jesus said to the woman at the well, this water that you drink, you'll come back again, but the water that I give, you will never thirst again. And God gives us purpose. What is this purpose? I want you to see this in verse 17. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. In verse 16, why? Because therein is the righteousness of God revealed 
What is the purpose of the message of the gospel? What is the purpose of salvation? The purpose of salvation is not for me just to get into heaven. How many of you are glad you're going to heaven because you've trusted Christ as your Savior? Say amen or raise your hand or do something. Just want to make sure you're still awake this morning. I'm glad I'm going to heaven. I'm glad that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's part of my salvation. But the purpose of my salvation is for the righteousness of God to be revealed in me. How is that righteousness revealed? It is revealed by me being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. God's purpose in saving me is to bring glory to himself by making me like Jesus. That is the purpose. That is why God saved me. That is the purpose of the gospel. Paul said it is the power of God. It is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The truth of God's righteousness is is that God is holy and we are not. Did you understand that? God is holy and we are not. And yet God is at work making us holy, making us righteous. Now it takes a little while. (laughs) He's been working on some of us for quite a while and and he's got a lot of work yet to do. Y'all remember the song? We used to sing it when we were kids. He's still working on me. I sang that when I was a kid. Now I'm 40 years old and I'm still singing. He's still working on me. And I suspect that if I live as long as some of you have lived, no offense, but some of you lived a pretty good while, that I'll still be singing. He's still working on me. Why? Because it is a work in progress. But God says, be ye holy as I am holy. And so his purpose to work in me is to make me like Christ. What does this do for me? It it completely transforms everything that happens in my life. If I think that I have been saved to have bounty and blessedness and all these wonderful things all the time, and sometimes isn't that the way we sell the gospel? Oh, if you'll come to Jesus... It's going to be a wonderful life. You come to Jesus, all your problems will be taken care of. You come to Jesus, everything's going to be just glory, glory, glory. And how many of us have come to Jesus and understand that since we've been saved, things haven't always been wonderful and glory and blessing? If I understand that the purpose of God saving me is not to make my life wonderful, but to make me like Christ, then I begin to understand Everything that happens in my life is for that purpose. And there may be, no, there won't may be, there will be some trials and some testings and some hardships. But when I understand them in the light of what God is doing, I see that even in those hardships, he's working to make me like Jesus. He is fulfilling his purpose. It's what Paul's going to say later in this epistle to Romans. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, who are the called according to his, say it with me, purpose. And what is God's purpose? To bring glory to himself by making me like Jesus. And so the good, the bad, and the ugly is all working for my good. What's good for me? Being like Jesus. What reveals the righteousness of God? Me being like Jesus. And that's what salvation does. That's purpose in my life, the purpose that God gives to
to us, and he transforms us to live a life of righteousness. Notice, notice this phrase that he uses. It is revealed how? From faith to faith. This means that for the entire extent of my Christian life and in all the experience, the wholeness and the fullness of my Christian life, that God is at work, and it happens by faith. It is a life that is living the gospel. What does it mean to live the gospel? Living the gospel is an inward, tra- inwardly motivated, outwardly transformed, Christ-exalting, spirit-empowered righteousness in my life. Let me say that to you again and we'll break it down. It is an inwardly motivated. I am not motivated to true righteousness by outward, by exterior things. It's not what you think of me that causes me to do what is right. It is what God thinks. It is what brings glory to God. It is not outward. It is not outward pressure. It is an inward motivated, outwardly transforming. It's going to look different in my life. It's going to exalt Christ, not me. And it's going to be empowered by the Spirit, not empowered by my flesh or my willpower or my efforts. It's going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God who resides in me. And that is true righteousness as opposed to self-righteousness. And that's the life, that is the purpose that God has called us to. Paul goes on to say that the gospel not only brings us a life of purpose, but you'll notice that he says it's a life of power. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It is the power of God. Do you know that you like me and everybody else that's ever been saved, we did not save ourselves. You agree with that? I hope you do. Some of you look like you want to take a little bit of credit for it. We did not save ourselves. It is not our power that saves us. Why? Because we were dead in sins, but it is by the power of God that we are regenerated. We are made alive in Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. I love this because when I share the gospel, when I'm doing the mission of the gospel, it's not my persuasion that saves anybody. It's the gospel. I believe it was Martin Luther that said, look, I didn't do anything. We just unleashed the gospel and it did everything. It's like a lion. You just turn it loose. You just turn the gospel loose. It's the gospel that's the power to salvation. The word here for power is that word dunamis. Now, Paul clearly did not imply by this that he was thinking of dynamite because dynamite wasn't yet invented for hundreds of years. But I love the fact that when they saw dynamite and they saw that explosive power, the word that they used to name it was this same word for power, this dunamis power. It is explosive power. It is great power. It's not just a little poof. It's a boom. Aren't you glad that the power of God... Because I'm going to tell you, there's many of us that would have been saved by a poof. Now, this is some deep theological stuff I'm sharing with you right now. I want you to understand that. Some of us, many of us, all of us, took a boom of power to be saved. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's not just the power of God for our conversion and our justification. It is the power of God all the way to our future glorification. 
You see, there's that three parts of salvation. There's my justification, there's my, that is I am saved. There's my sanctification, I am being saved. And there's my glorification, one day I will be saved, I will be completely saved. But it's the power of God that justified me and regenerated me. And it is the power of God at work in my life that will sanctify me and make me holy and fulfill the purpose that God has given to me. And it is the power of God that one day will glorify me and I will be completely like Christ. I can't wait for that day. I'm going to have to tell you that my sanctification has been tested some over these past days. I hear people say things and I see people do things and I'm thinking, Lord, why, why, are, you letting, why are you letting them do that? And then I am reminded that he's still working on me. There are things in my life that need the power of God for that sanctification the power of God unto salvation. Aren't you glad for the gospel of Jesus Christ? It gives us a life of purpose. It gives us a life of power. But I want you to notice what I think is a great point of this passage, and that is it gives us a life of passion. Paul says in verse 15, and if you underline your Bibles, I encourage you to underline this phrase, I am as much as in me is, as much as in me is, with all of my being, with all that I am, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed. I am unashamed of the gospel of Christ. What are you passionate about? It's really not hard to tell what most people are passionate about if you're around them very long at all. Some people are passionate about their families. They can't wait to show you pictures. Used to, they'd pull their wallet out. Now they pull their phone out. Here, let me scroll through these pictures. Oh, that's wonderful. I've never seen a little kid before. (laughs) I'm joking. You all have wonderful kids and grandkids. They're beautiful. They're precious. Some people are passionate about their job. You're around them very long at all, and they want to talk about their work. And their, Some are passionate about their hobbies. Some are passionate about um, serving in the community. Some are passionate about, um, about music. Some people are passionate about their favorite musicians and their favorite singers and I want to tell you what, we've heard some of my favorite singers this morning. I praise the Lord for the music and the way it's pointed our hearts toward the message of the word. Some people are passionate about the people they idolize, movie stars, sports heroes. I remember meeting a student pastor years ago, and I walked into his his office. I won't call it a study because I doubt any studying went on in that place. It was like a shrine and I won't name the name of the team, but um, the Green Bay Packers were pretty close to his heart, apparently. He was wearing a great big old Super Bowl ring, and he had my wife convinced that he was the kicker for one of their Super Bowls. That man had probably never been on a football field in his life, but, he, man, he was all about that. So you could tell who he was passionate about. What are you passionate about? Are you passionate about the gospel Whenever I think about being passionate, I, I'm reminded of a story I shared in the 
in the early service. Several years ago, um, I had a friend call me, and he said, hey, you want to you wanna go to a ball game? He lived up near Washington, and up near the Washington Nationals, and he said, you want to... He said, my brother's got tickets to a, to a baseball game. And um, he said, he's going to take us out to eat. We're going to have some fellowship. We're going to sit and talk and have a good time and watch the game. And so I'm not particularly a Washington Nationals fan. But I said, hey, it's baseball, it's Christian fellowship, and it's food. It doesn't get any better than that. I'm on board. Um, I, you have to understand that my whole life, I am a lifelong fan and y'all can pray for me in this, but I'm a lifelong fan of the Atlanta Braves. I know, I know, it's terrible. Um, I'm not bitter over the Dodgers beating us this year or everybody else that's ever beat us, pretty much everybody in the National League, but I used to say that it was three things that were certain in life, death, taxes, and the Braves choking in the playoffs. And I'm not wrong. We got to the ball... Park that night, we went and had supper and had a good time, and got to the ballpark, and our seats were out in out in left field. We were we were figuratively and literally in left far out in left field. And uh, when I walked in, I asked my friend, I said, "Do you know who we're playing tonight?" And he said, "No, we'll find out when we get to the ballpark." Well, we walked in, and they were playing the Braves. Man, I said, "God, you love me so much. Thank you." I just, I'm not joking. He really does. And so we sat down, and you know, I was pretty excited to get to see my team play, a little more interested in the game than I probably would have been otherwise. And, and so we sat out in our seats in left field, and we were sort of somewhat paying attention to the game and um, talking, having a good time, fellowship and talking church, talking ministry, and just uh, talking in general. And, and we were seated in a, in a section that was filled with Washington National fans. I mean, there was, I was probably the only Braves fan there, but I didn't identify myself. I didn't have, had no idea they were going to be there, so I didn't wear any Braves paraphernalia or anything. And from the looks of some of that crowd, it's probably a safe thing that I didn't. I was a little concerned um, to even cheer when they did something well because they, they looked at me sort of sketchy. And there was a guy just down about three rows down from us and over in the corner facing toward um, home plate that um, apparently was a huge fan of one of the players for the Braves. Happens to be one of my favorite players of all times, number 10, Chipper Jones. Can I get an amen for Chipper? Amen, amen. okay. I wouldn't normally do that, but, you know, it is Chipper. So the, um, this young man was apparently quite a fan of Chipper Jones. He had on Braves attire, and he had a huge sign just wide enough for him to hold up like this made out of foam board or some kind of artsy stuff and on it it said I love Chipper Jones number 10 had stars all over it little too decorative for my taste but you know that was that's him when Chipper got up to bat we're sitting there having a conversation discussing spiritual things like you do at ball games and Chipper came up to bat, and this guy jumped up, and he held that sign up as high as he could, and, I mean, he just screamed, Chipper! Well, Chipper Jones is at home plate. He, he's, just, he's focused on batting. He's not paying attention, and so he doesn't even notice. And, of course, the people around him sort of frowned. All those Washington fans frowned on that, and some of them booed a little bit, and he sat back down, Chipper 
I forget, struck out or walked or something, and the inning was over. So we went back to our conversation. A couple innings later, here comes Chipper up to bat again. And sure enough, Chipper boy gets his sign back out. And when Chipper gets up to bat, he holds his sign up over his head, and again, he just yells, Chipper! Chipper! By this time, people are not booing him. They sort of laugh, and, you know, hey, this guy's pretty enthusiastic. He's really passionate about Chipper Jones. And so they laughed a little bit and smiled at him and patted him on the back and went a little further in the game. And by this time, we were sort of getting a little bit bored with the game, and this guy became our entertainment. Every time Chipper would get anywhere near sight, sign came out, he's up. And at this point, people are beginning to stand up with him. Some of these Washington fans are actually beginning to stand up. And whenever he yells, Chipper! And he's yelled and he's yelled and his voice starts to get a little scratchy and hoarse. And about the sixth or seventh inning, I guess it was, Chipper got on base. He got around to second base. And this was the closest that he had been to his fan the whole game. Well, this guy stands up. And he just yells, Chipper, Chipper, Chipper. Well, the, the whole section, and we're all on our feet by this point. We're all up to him. We're just, Chipper, we're waving. We're trying to, Chipper finally turns around and looks up toward the stands. Here's his name. Well, when he turned and looked, man, the whole section just went, Whoa! Man, we were so excited for Chipper Boy. Sometime along, I, get, I don't know, it was, it was getting up late in the game, and Chipper got up to bat again. He sort of glanced out our way because we were just waiting on, we were waiting on it. We knew it was coming. And so when he got up to bat, this guy jumps up, and he's, we're all jumping up. There was a Washington fan somewhere back up behind us. I'm not sure where he came from. He clearly, to use a, a really archaic term, had been in his cups. Just, y'all know what I'm talking about. He was not happy with Chipper Boy. Young man stands up, got his sign up, he's yelling, and this guy comes running down the aisle. I just saw it out of the corner of my eye, and I thought, oh, no, here we go. It's going to be all over the news. I'm, all my folks back home are going to see, you know, preacher arrested in the middle of a baseball brawl. He comes running down. He snatches the sign away from this boy breaks it over his leg, and just throws it out across the crowd. I want to tell you what, that was the maddest bunch of baseball fans I have ever seen in my life. They went after that guy. The security came down, gathered around him, you know, got his, took him. They were protecting him from the rest of the crowd. Pieces of the sign are everywhere. They take him back up the stands, and we're just like, man, why did you do that? That was our fun in the game. People passed the pieces of the sign back down, got it all back down. They got the guy taken out. Boy puts his, got those two big pieces left, and he takes those two pieces and he holds them together. And he turns around to the crowd behind us and he looks at us and he's like, Chipper! At the end of the game, he had a baseball, and he clearly wanted to get it signed. The young lady that was one of the um, young ladies that chases the foul balls and stuff was sitting down just over the 
fence, and she had seen all that was going on. And so she took him down to the dugout, down along the third baseline. Chipper comes down, goes down to the base, and goes heading down in, and she calls out to him. And he comes back just to the edge or somewhere you could see she was reaching the baseball to him. And the young guy's standing there. All he wants is his baseball signed by Chipper Jones. <laughs> and so he hands it to her. She passes it down. And apparently Chipper signed it, handed it back out, and hands that young man his baseball signed by Chipper. He takes that baseball and he looked at it. Everybody else had left the stadium except for most of the people in our section because we're watching this take place. And he takes that baseball and he turns around and he looks at us again and he says, Chipper! I don't know about you, but I'm going to stand in the arena of life and I want my life and I want my actions and I want my words and I want my testimony to scream to those around me, Jesus, Jesus. I want my sign to say, I love Jesus Christ. I want the gospel to be the passion of my life. I may not get bumper stickers and big signs, although there might not be anything wrong with that. I want my life to be a billboard for Jesus. I want those who see me to know what matters the most to me is Jesus and the message of the gospel. I want it to be so clear that the passion of my life is to proclaim as much as in me is, Paul says, I want to come to that pagan city of Rome and I want to stand there where there's very few Christians and the Christians that are there are the weak and the poor and the slaves and the uneducated and I want to proclaim to the Jew first and also to the Greek that Jesus saves, that Jesus is the way of salvation, that the gospel is the good news. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. If the message of the gospel is not your passion this morning, there's two possibilities. One, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior and you've never experienced the message of the gospel. I invite you to do that today. I invite you to receive the message of the gospel that will give you a life of purpose and a life of power and a life of passion for what really matters. This morning, the second reason might be that even though you've trusted in Christ, you're not experiencing that power from faith to faith, that work that God is doing in you. You've been satisfied with a, a message of salvation that gets you out of hell and one day will get you a ticket into heaven, but in between you want to do what you want to do and live like you want to live. I want you to know, I want you to know the passion that as much as in us is, Christ be magnified. Jesus Christ, be exalted. The message of the gospel, the mission of the gospel, but the miracle of the gospel. Will you bow with me for prayer? Father, my prayer is that if there's one here 
that has never trusted you as their Savior. Lord, they're living their life looking for purpose and meaning. They're wanting to experience the passion, and Lord, they're seeking purpose in all the wrong things, and their passion is not satisfying because it's not in the one that satisfies. Father, I pray that this will be the day that they'll step out from where they are, they'll walk down this aisle, and let someone take the Word of God and show them how their sins can be forgiven. They can enter into a relationship with you. Your righteous work will begin in them. One day, Lord, they will have a place with you in heaven. Father, I pray as Christians that you will speak to us. Lord, make us passionate for your gospel. Make us passionate for Jesus Christ. Help us to speak more of him than we do political leaders. Help us to speak more of the gospel than we do of our philosophy. Help us to speak more of Jesus Christ than we do the earthly passions that we have. Christ, be magnified in your church. Be magnified in your people. We pray this.